Thanks, Kathy. Uh, good morning. Uh, it's great to be with you this morning. Uh, for those who don't know me, uh, or perhaps if you're watching online, uh, my name's Dan. I'm the Assistant uh, Minister here at Cherrybrook Anglican Church. Uh, well, let's pray uh, before we dive into this passage. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word to us. Uh, thank you that you want to be known. Uh, thank you for showing us the way of salvation through Christ. And we pray this morning as we open this passage, give us ears to hear, give us minds to understand, give us hearts to accept the message of this upside-down king and this upside-down kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, well, it sounds like the kids are having fun uh, in their kids' programs, uh, but I'm sure we will have just as much fun in here. Uh, now, throughout history, um, uh, for those of you who enjoy studying history uh, and those who don't, we all know throughout history, occasionally there come ideas, uh, philosophies, inventions uh, that change the course of history, uh, that turn things upside down, that transform uh, behaviours, beliefs, uh, the way we think, the way we behave. Uh, so think, for instance, I mean, the, the rise of democracy uh, over many, many years in the West has transformed the way society works uh, and the way we think about uh, government. Uh, think of the, the rise and then fall of communism uh, in the 19th and 20th centuries. Uh, things like the discovery of electricity, uh, the invention of the internet, uh, these are things that have so transformed uh, the way that society works uh, that in many ways they, they turned things upside down. Uh, these are transformational ideas that have shaped the world. Uh, but standing head and shoulders uh, above all these ideas, all these inventions, all these discoveries, standing head and shoulders above anything else that's changed the world is a man, Jesus Christ. Now, uh, I've grown up going to church. Uh, I know many of you have as well. Uh, and, and we live in a society and a culture that's been profoundly shaped by Christianity. And so sometimes I think we forget, I know I forget, uh, or, or, or we just don't realise quite how revolutionary Jesus is. Just how transformative his teaching is. How shocking some of his statements were. This statement that we find in today's passage, whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, this statement turned upside down the most widely accepted standards of, of leadership, uh, of, of power, of greatness, the most widely accepted standards of those things to that day. It turned them upside down and so transformed the world, so transformed particularly those countries that were shaped by Christianity, countries like Australia, it has so transformed our culture that we would barely recognise it had Jesus not said these things. And so this is what we're looking at this morning, something that so profoundly shaped the world, Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 to 28. So keep your Bibles open, uh, if you've got it on your phone, keep that in front of you. Uh, now, over the uh, last few weeks, we've been looking at what Jesus has been teaching his disciples, particularly about what it looks like to be a disciple. What does it take to be a disciple? How does his kingdom operate? What kind of behaviour is expected of disciples of Jesus? How should people relate to one another? What, is it, 
what does it take to be a disciple? What, what are the rewards uh, of being a disciple of Jesus? And how are those rewards distributed? Now, he's on his way to Jerusalem. Uh, We've been following the journey, and you can see there in verse 17, uh, he's going up to Jerusalem. uh, And uh, he he takes the 12 disciples aside. He's he's nearly reached Jerusalem by this point. He takes the 12 disciples aside, and he tells them what's going to happen when they get to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's his goal. What's going to happen when they get there? Well, he's going to be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they'll condemn him to death. They'll deliver him to the Gentiles who will mock him, flog him, and crucify him. And then he'll be raised on the third day. Now, this is the third time. The third time Jesus has spoken about his death and resurrection with his disciples. Uh, The first time uh, he spoke about it, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Uh, He clearly didn't understand what Jesus needed to do. And when Peter rebuked Jesus, Jesus took Peter aside. uh, Jesus rebuked Peter uh, and told him, you don't have the things of God in mind, but the things of men. You're not thinking godly thoughts. You are thinking worldly thoughts. The second time Jesus spoke about his death and resurrection, uh, the disciples were greatly distressed by what he said. They still didn't understand And now this is the third time, this one that we read this morning, and we'll see from what comes next. They still don't understand. Uh, They don't understand what Jesus needed to do. Uh, They don't understand what kind of king he is, and they don't understand how his kingdom operates. Now, the disciples, uh, along with the rest of the Jews, they had certain expectations. They were looking forward to someone who would come and establish God's kingdom, this eternal kingdom. Like many of the Jews, they were expecting a powerful king, a great king who would overthrow their enemies, and they would establish Israel once more and forevermore. And so Jesus came and he claimed to be that person. The Messiah promised to David, the Son of Man prophesied in Daniel chapter 7, the one who would bring about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Jesus claimed to be that person. He began his ministry by saying, repent, uh, by saying the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. Jesus is the one, he's the king, and the disciples came to believe it. They thought he was the Messiah. But here, Jesus says, instead of conquering the Gentiles and establishing Israel, he says, actually, it's almost the exact opposite. It's Israel itself, the chief priests and scribes, who will hand Jesus over to the Gentiles who will kill him. The opposite of what they expected. He subverts every expectation they had. He turns upside down every conception of what they thought the Messiah should do, what they thought a ruler, a king should do, how a king should establish a kingdom, how a king should rule his people. He turns them upside down. And not just the expectations of the Jews, but the Romans and every nation around. You establish a kingdom by conquering your enemies. That's what you do. That's how you establish a kingdom, right? You conquer your enemies, not by being conquered by them, That's the opposite of what a king should do. That's the opposite of how you establish a kingdom. 
A king who tries to establish a kingdom by being conquered is a deluded fool. Except they were wrong, weren't they? They were wrong. Because it's by his crucifixion that Jesus establishes his kingdom. It's as he's seemingly conquered by his enemies that he achieves his greatest victory. And it's because his victory is not a victory over the Romans. It's not a victory over the Gentiles. Those are far too small for the Messiah, for the Son of Man. Jesus has something far more important to conquer than the Romans and the Gentiles. Something far bigger to conquer that will provide salvation even for the Romans and the Gentiles. What Jesus conquered is sin and death. And they can only be conquered by his death and resurrection. Jesus is an upside-down king. And he rules an upside-down kingdom. The disciples still don't understand. They don't understand what kind of king Jesus is and how his kingdom operates. Have a look with me at verse 20. Uh, this, what happens next shows how little they understand. Uh, the mother of the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, uh, they're two of the three kind of inner circle of disciples along with Peter, she comes to Jesus with a request from James and John. They want to sit at Jesus' right and left-hand sides in his kingdom. Now, these are positions of power and honour. The right and left-hand men were the second and third most powerful people in the kingdom, apart from the king himself. If you were sitting in one of these seats, it was a great honour. Now, Jesus, he already promised the twelve in chapter 19 that they will rule with him in the kingdom of heaven. They will rule. But what James and John uh, want here is something more. They want the most privileged positions, the most powerful positions, the greatest positions. And of course, these are reserved for the greatest people. Now, it's, it's natural, it's quite an acceptable request from a worldly point of view, isn't it? This is how the world works. It's natural to ask for a job. You apply for jobs. It's natural to ask for a promotion, to apply for a promotion. You're not going to get it if you don't apply for it, right? There's nothing wrong with these things from a worldly perspective, is there? If there's a position up for grabs, a position of power and authority, perhaps a position of honour or of greater reward, more pay, it's natural to apply for it, to ask for it. But have a look at how Jesus responds. See, firstly, he says, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? That cup that he refers to is his suffering and death. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays, he says, Father, if it is possible, take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus is asking if they can suffer and die like him. They have no idea what they're asking by asking for these positions. They're like children 
asking for a tattoo because they've seen an adult with one and they look cool. <laughs> it's like a parent saying to them, do you, do you know how much that's going to hurt? <laughs> do, you, do you know the pain involved? A little while ago, Sammy uh, asked if we could buy a Lamborghini. Um, I was very proud of him at that moment. Um, but, but I said, no, buddy, we'll, ne we'll never be able to afford a Lamborghini. Uh, they cost too much money. Uh, and he thought for a moment and he, he said, Daddy, I have an idea. I'll do lots of work and I'll save up lots of money and then we can buy a Lamborghini. And so I had to say to him, no, buddy, you, you, just, you don't quite understand how much they cost. You don't have the ability to even comprehend that much money, let alone work to earn that much money. They don't know what they're asking. They don't understand the cost. Now, the rest of the disciples, understandably, they're indignant when they hear about it. What they see is a selfish power grab, which it is, right? James have John, and John have tried to elevate themselves above the rest. And so Jesus takes this opportunity to teach them how things work in the kingdom of heaven, how things work amongst disciples of Jesus. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Now this is, I think, less jarring for us. Because we live in a culture that's been shaped by this idea. But back in those days, when Jesus first said this, this was revolutionary. Every model of leadership, every idea about greatness, every system of government in the ancient world was the exact opposite of this. When you become a leader, when you become a ruler, people serve you. Now, you might serve others to get to those positions, right? Right? You might spend your life serving people in higher positions in order to get to that position of greatness. But once there, once you are in that position of greatness, once you are great, then people serve you. And as much as our world has been shaped by Christianity, by this idea of servant leadership, I think we still find this today, don't we? It's a natural human inclination that the lesser serve the greater. If you think of those that our world considers great, those in positions of power and influence in the world, maybe CEOs of huge corporations, people like Mark Zuckerberg, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, you probably wouldn't describe them as humble servants, would you? Single-minded, perhaps, incredibly focused, intelligent, visionaries, but everyone serves them, don't they? Everyone serves their interests, their vision, their goals. And they'll often trample on others in order to achieve what they want. Think of powerful world leaders. 
Xi Jinping, Vladimir Putin, Joe Biden, Boris Johnson, and many other leaders around the world. Do they strike you as slaves, servants of the people? Do you think they got to those positions because they wanted to give their lives in sacrificial service? It's not how the world works. In the world, the lesser serve the greater. But Jesus says, no, not among you, not in my kingdom. Greatness in the kingdom of God is found in humble service. Greatness is found in slavery to the needs of others, in serving others. And it goes further than we might imagine, because it's not even do these things and you will become great. No, you occupy that position of greatness, you occupy that position of importance as ruler, as one in authority, in order to serve in order to give your life for the good of others. When James and John asked to be seated at Jesus' right hand, they probably didn't imagine kind of the cost to get there, but it, it wasn't just that they didn't, they didn't imagine the cost. They knew there would be a cost and they were willing to pay it. They did say, we can drink the cup you drink, although I don't think they understood quite what that meant. It wasn't that they didn't understand that there would be a cost to get there. It was that they didn't understand that the role was the cost, that the position was the cost. They didn't understand the purpose of positions of power and authority and importance in the kingdom of God. The greater you are, the more you serve. The higher the position, the more you give your life in service. To sit at Jesus' right and left, these positions of privilege, of authority, power and honour, is to ask for uh, suffering and self-sacrifice. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first must be your slave. And that's why Jesus occupies the position of the highest authority in his kingdom. That's why Jesus has the greatest glory and honor in the kingdom of heaven. That's why Jesus has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. That's why he's been highly exalted and given the name that is above every name, because he is the ultimate example of sacrifice of service. Jesus is the ultimate servant of all. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And you know, he hasn't stopped serving. He didn't serve us and then take that position and stop serving. Jesus serves us to this day. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus promised his disciples he will be with us always to the very end of the age. The book of Acts, if you look at how uh, how the author Luke 
writes the book of Acts, you'll notice that the book of Acts is about what Jesus continues to do in and through his disciples. In the book of Hebrews, in chapter 7, verse 25, it talks about how Jesus is our high priest. And it says in in chapter 7, verse 25, it says, He is able to save completely those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus lives to intercede for us. Jesus serves us to this day. He is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And he calls all those who follow him to do the same, to live lives of sacrificial service, to be servants of others, slaves of others. That's what it takes to be great in the kingdom of heaven. I often like to wonder uh, and speculate about what the new creation will be like. Um, I don't know if that's something that you do as well. Uh, But what are we going to do for work in the new creation? How similar is it going to be to this life, obviously without the sin and pain and death and everything like that? Will there be cars in the new creation? I hope so. Maybe we'll be able to afford a Lamborghini. Um, but how's life going to work in the new creation? What, what is it going to look like? And I, I like to wonder about these things, and it's not always helpful. Um, a little word, word of warning there. It's not always helpful because God doesn't really tell us much about exactly what it will be like. But I want to share with you something that's been bouncing around in my head for a few years. We read in the Bible about treasure in heaven, right? Uh, about Jesus talks about rewards uh, for discipleship. Uh, and we've looked at those passages over the last couple of weeks. What is the treasure in heaven? Now, we're never actually told. We're not told what that treasure is. But what if treasure in heaven, what if the reward for faithful service Spending your life being a servant, being a slave of others for the sake of Jesus and the gospel, what if the reward, the treasure in heaven, is that you get to serve more people? What if the reward was more opportunities for self-sacrifice? We call it the upside-down kingdom or at least I call it the upside-down kingdom at youth group, because Jesus turns the expectations and systems of the world upside down. But really, we should call it the right-way-up kingdom, because it's the kingdoms of the world that are upside-down. It's the kingdoms of the world that are twisted by sin. We should call it the right-way-up kingdom, because this is what we were created for. This is the restoration of God's good order, Humans were made to serve. Jesus is the ultimate human, the ultimate son of man. And so we will end up finding more joy, more satisfaction, more fulfillment in serving. Because this is what we were made for. This is how Jesus lived. And this is the way the kingdom of God works. The first will be last, and the last first.
I want to finish this morning, though, with one more thought, one more encouragement. Uh, perhaps it may come as a rebuke. Um, for you, it may come as a relief. Greatness is not found in stoic, silent suffering. Greatness is not found in a refusal to let others serve you. In a refusal to let others help you. That's pride, not greatness. Let's be honest, we're all struggling this year. We're all struggling this year. Everyone's feeling weary, everyone's feeling worn out. Even in the Bible Belt in Sydney, in fact, probably even more in the Bible Belt in Sydney, we're very good at building up a facade of I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. I'm soldiering on. Things are okay. I, I don't need help. I'll get through. Because it's embarrassing to not be okay, right? It's embarrassing to put your hand up and say, I'm done. I'm not okay. I need help. It's embarrassing to stick your hand up and say, I've failed. I've messed up. I've sinned. And so we just soldier on, don't we? Silently battling our depression, our anxiety, our fears, our failures, trying to do better. Not wanting to be a burden on others, not wanting to reach out for help. But all the while, so many of us feeling lonely and isolated struggling and in need of help. The problem is when we do this, when we keep silent, we deny others the opportunity to serve. We deny others the opportunity to help. I'm struggling. This year's been really hard and I'm sure many of you are, in fact I know many of you are as well. I need help, I need encouragement and support, and I'm sure you do as well. And so let's not be silent. Say something. Reach out and allow others to serve. Allow others to help. We're a family. This church is a family. We don't do this alone. We have one another. So let's serve one another. And let's allow others to serve us. Because greatness is not found in silent suffering. Greatness is not found in a refusal to let others serve you. Greatness is found in the service of others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you that you sent him to be our servant to be our slave, that he might give his life as a ransom for many, to free us from the power of sin and death. Thank you for the example that he provides, that we might follow him in serving one another. Father, we pray uh, that we might be open with one another, that we might not in our pride refuse to let others serve us, but that we might be a family who serve one another. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Jesus is the greatest servant, uh, and we're going to sing the other servant songs, so please join us as the band comes up.